millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Lovely to have you along and to share the news that we have been shortlisted for the Babcock International First Sea Lords Award for the best use of digital media. And if you want to find out why and you've just arrived here, then you need immediately to head over to our YouTube page, our Instagram and TikTok channels to see all of our fabulous video material, as well as going back through the archive of audio episodes where you will find a little bit for everyone. My current favourite video is an animated map that shows where the Mary Celeste was found adrift and silent. And I think that my current favourite audio episode that was very hard to choose was on the maritime history of time. Now you may think, ah, longitude, I know all about that. Well, I can tell you there's a hell of a lot more to it than just longitude. Today we're back in our familiar stomping ground of the Second World War. If this is your period of interest, then there's plenty for you to see and hear. In particular, check out the 3D animation we've made of a Japanese aircraft carrier launching its attack at Pearl Harbor. And there are at least 12 audio episodes you can find that are tagged World War II. You can find them and browse the episodes all at snr.org.uk. If you want a general overview of the period, there's a particularly interesting recent podcast with the excellent Paul Kennedy, in which he talks about the transformation of the global order in terms of sea power between 1939 and 1945. Today, however, we are in the North Atlantic and we are hunting the Bismarck. We're talking about the might of the Royal Navy pursuing and destroying Germany's greatest battleship. The ship that on the 24th of May 1941 had sunk the pride of the Royal Navy, HMS Hood. A sinking that left 1,415 of the Hood's crew dead, with only three survivors. The subsequent hunt for and destruction of the Bismarck is one of the greatest tit-for-tat, naval, eye-for-an-eye stories that you'll ever hear. And to help me tell it, I spoke with the brilliant Angus Constam, who spoke to me from his home in Orkney, just a stone's throw from the Royal Navy's great World War II naval base at Scarpa Flow. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. That deeply knowledgeable and natural storyteller... Here is Angus. 
Angus, thank you very much for joining me today. A pleasure. So, um, why did you choose to write about Bismarck? I ask this because people have written about Bismarck before. Right. It's obviously it's uh, it's done to death in a way. Uh, it's there's a number of excellent books about it. Um, however, I was I was fascinated by it really since I think as a kid when I I saw the the Kenneth Moore film. Uh, it uh, sort of piqued my interest. But then the fact is, I suppose, living in Orkney um, or moving back to Orkney, uh, you have Scapa Flow behind you, where it was the starting point of the thing, at least from the British side. So it, that that was of interest. And then after, after my time in the Navy and writing various other things, I, I became kind of fascinated by, by the whole really the decision-making process and all the books I've read about it didn't really cover that in the kind of, in the kind of detail I wanted. Uh, I was, it's the space, the time of, the Atlantic is the big place. I've gone across it a few times and uh, there's a lot of ocean out there. Uh, So to get a ship to one particular point, to find a ship in the vastness Mm. of the Atlantic has always fascinated me. And it, it, there are long delays in 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 signalling uh, in uh, in getting a ship to from A to B. So you've got to plan ahead. So it was the decision making process by the commanders, by Admiral Luchens on the on the Bismarck uh, and Admiral Tovey in the Home Fleet in Scapa Flow, uh, and of course as Deputy Vice Admiral Holland. That uh, that kind of fascinated me, and then. Yeah, yeah. The, then the whole search, it it was all part of that huge lost in the Atlantic thing, which I found utterly fascinating. Yeah, it's a, I, I like the, um, well, we'll talk about it later, but the fact that she was found by biplanes as well. And it's <laughs> it's um, it's it's a it's a kind of a wonderful mixture of um, of the like the very latest technology and some old pretty ropey stuff, which proves it's still effective. Anyway, let's go back to the beginning. Um, tell me why why Bismarck was built. Well, the the whole the Kriegsmarine started in 1935, uh, uh, taking over from the Reichsmarine. It was the Germans started building increasingly large ships, starting with armoured cruisers like the Graf Spee, the, the ones we, we kind of call pocket battleships. Uh, there wasn't much of a battleship about them, but they, they did the job. They were essentially commerce raiders. And the whole German thing about building battleships uh, was an extension of this commerce raiding idea. So from there they went on to the Scharnhorst and the Neisnau, which we labelled as battle cruisers. They were really kind of small, fairly light battleships, I suppose. But then they came on to the uh, the next the next step up in July 30, 1936. They laid the keel of the Bismarck, and essentially it was going to be the ultimate commerce raider. The Germans knew that they couldn't take on the Royal Navy in in terms of of number of ships. But the British ships were fairly elderly. They, the battleships, they had two battleships that were worth their salt. The rest really weren't, were old um, survivors of the First War. But they had new ones building. The uh, King George V class of, um, mm. but uh, was still just about to come out when, uh, uh, well, well, it wasn't even it wasn't even coming out then. It came uh, they they came in during the war. So you have this um, fairly small British battleship power of, uh, and the Germans thought, right, if we can sneak out, we can do in in a far more effective way. There were still 
Admiral Raider was not convinced about the whole U-boat idea as a way of bringing down um, British commerce. Britain being an mm. island, totally reliant on, on sea communications and, uh, and, and for her survival, she needed convoys coming in with ships, uh, carrying uh, everything from Spanish onions to bananas to, to, um, to Arnoa. Everything needed to sustain the population and to fight the war. So by, by breaking that, uh, could either be done by surface warships uh, on raids, which they did a bit of in the first war, uh, and then in 1939, when the Graf Spee and the Deutschland went out and, and did that, they were fairly successful. So it was all part of that whole thing. So they weren't trying to match Britain. There was the, as you know, the, the whole Plan Z thing of the of building a great fleet with, uh, with, a, with a level of when it would actually could be big enough to take on the Royal Navy was in about 1945 1946 or 1949 depending which stage of the of the whole process you look at but so Bismarck was very much though um going to be a commerce raider uh, but she was going to be the biggest the best and the most powerful and the whole idea was she had the armor the the speed and the guns to outclass outpace any british battleship afloat um, and then if she was caught in, the, in a fight, then she could stand her ground and and, and uh, she had the firepower and the armour to take on anything the British could throw against her. Yeah, and most prestigious as well. This was really going to be flying the flag for Germany on the high seas. It was very much a pre uh, prestige, uh, prestige thing. Bismarck and then her sister ship Tirpitz were, when they, when they were launched, were essentially the the best, arguably, the best battleships in the world. Everyone uh, claims to have the best battleships: the Americans, the Japanese, <laughs> the British. But, but Bismarck had a, had a good uh, was f compare her to the the British equivalents, the the Rodney and the uh, and and Nelson, the two Nelson class battleships. She was much faster. They were showing their age; they were about twenty years old. Uh, Bismarck just had the the firepower, the guns. They they were fairly well matched in armor. The the British yeah. and the uh, and in firepower, uh, but Bismarck had state of the art um, optics uh, to, for her fire control. So her gunnery was going to be accurate, but she was fast and she was reliable and she had an incredible range. So um, a useful addition. And but the whole idea was not to to get involved in a stand up fight, but to use her as a commerce raider. And if she had got loose among Atlantic convoys, she she could have have, uh, have had a devastating impact. Yeah. How did uh, HMS Hood fit into this picture? Because that really turns out to be Bismarck's great foe. <laughs> yes, well, Hood was a lovely ship. She, uh, you know, everyone reckons she was one of the prettiest warships of the, of the age. Uh, but her age was long past. She came out, mm. uh, she was a byproduct of the... The battle cruisers designed in the First World War. She lacked the armor. She she had the speed, but uh, she had a reasonable armament. But she hadn't been updated. She was a beautiful ship, a lovely, a large ship, perfectly designed for showing the flag and having cocktail parties on board. But really not um, by nineteen forty one. She was not really of uh, of a class to take on uh, to take on ships like uh, like Bismarck. She lacked the fire control. That she lacked the 
um, the, she had uh, she had the speed, but above all, she lacked the armor. Bismarck had um, had modern uh, Krupp armor, twelve and a half inch uh, male be- male <coughs> main arm belt. Uh, Hood had a, had one, but it was much more patchy. She had thick armor in some places over her what the the ship designers would call their vitals, the the magazines and the and the engine spaces, but. Her weak point was really weak decks, and battle cruisers were designed for speed with with great firepower. We know how that went wrong at the Battle of Jutland because the British lost lost three of them very quickly. Uh, it's uh, it's just a design that was flawed. She had been updated; she had been uh, uh, had increased armor by uh, 1941, but it, she still wasn't really a patch on on Bismarck. How did the two meet then? How did the two get to face each other off in the Denmark Strait? What were the what were the manoeuvres that brought them there? Well, we're back to my my fascination with the decision making and the the whole the whole thing of getting ships into the right place. The Germans could only break out into the Atlantic through one of one, well, essentially one of four routes. One, the unlikely one between Orkney and Shetland, uh, was really no. No go because Scapa Flow was just down the road. Um, the odd, what's it, sixty miles between between the two of them. Uh, I live in Orkney. Uh, I can uh, uh, I've flown to Shetland. It takes no time at all, uh, and uh, it's easily patrolled. Uh, so too, in a way, is the gap between Shetland and the Faroes. They'd the British had air bases in Orkney, in Shetland, and on the in Caithness on the Scottish mainland. So. They could fairly easily plug that gap with uh, with ships and aircraft. That 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 left two sensible routes. One was the f- one between Iceland and the Faroes, and the other one was between Iceland and Greenland. Uh, the so the so called Denmark Straits that you mentioned earlier. So the British had to plug all these gaps, but essentially they had to concentrate on the Faroes Iceland gap and then the Iceland Greenland gap, and. The last time Admiral Lutjens tried this, uh, he was he had uh, battle the battle cruisers uh, Scharnhorst and Eisenau under his his command, and he um, he uh, he went through the uh, the Faroes Gap, uh, the uh, the Faroes Iceland Gap. So that was kind of the likely one. But to cover their all bases, Admiral Tovey, the commander of the Home Fleet in Scapa Flow, decided to send his deputy. Vice Admiral Holland to the Denmark Strait. It was already patrolled by two heavy cruisers, by um, the cruisers Norfolk and Suffolk. But by sending um, some firepower, he thought these two ships should be able to stop them. Goodness gracious! One is the Hood, the the big beautiful Hood, the flagship of uh, of Vice Admiral Holland. But the the other one was the brand new one of the ones I was talking about. The ships that were just coming out. The King George V class was Prince of Wales, and she was so new, as was so shown so wonderfully in the in the film with with Kenneth Moore. They were still trying to fix her problems with her gun turrets. She was yeah. nothing but teething problems. She had a mouthful of teething problems when she sailed. But again, that's my my whole my whole fascination. It's a long way to go from uh, the the sort of seven hundred eight hundred miles from Scapa Flow to the to the gap there uh so you had to think ahead and you had to without knowing where the germans were uh she was spotted in off bergen she'd uh she'd sailed from gottenhaven in the uh in the baltic 
uh, now Gdansk or wherever it is, or Gdynia, sorry. Um, and uh, and then she made her way to um, the Grimstadt Fjord, just south of Bergen, on the 21st of May. She was spotted there by um, a coastal command reconnaissance plane that afternoon. So the British knew where she was. And at that point, Admiral Tovey had the, had the had to make his decision about where to deploy his ship. So uh, just after midnight uh, the next day, on er, well, late on on the Wednesday the 21st, uh, very early in the morning, Thursday 22nd, Hood and Prince of Wales set out from Scapa Flow through the Hoxha Sound just about a, um, a few hundred yards from my house. Uh, it'd be an interesting place to to, to, uh, to watch them that, that, that evening. Mm. Uh, and... Essentially, they had to set out with no idea if they were going to go into combat or not. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Admiral Tovey had to make sure he plugged the other gaps. And what they tended to do, the British, was to have a, a tripwire of cruisers, light cruisers or in the, in the Denmark Strait, heavy cruisers. And then they would pull, pull back and Admiral Tovey would be kicking around in the background with King George V, his flagship, and with the aircraft carrier Victorious, he would also be able to draw on Tovey, uh, sorry, on on uh, um, his his deputy, on Vice Admiral Holland with the with Hooden Prince of Wales. So it was it was like a big chessboard, but played out without any idea where the other people's pieces were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. And then when when they, they, they finally met, when Hood and Bismarck met, well, what happened? <laughs> right. Well, the the Hood was the Hood and um, and the Prince of Wales were had a destroyer e- escort. They had been uh, detached to uh, refuel. Uh, they the British were able to do that in Reykjavik. The Denmark Strait was a fairly narrow channel uh, made narrower by pack ice on the greenland side and by mines on the on the icelandic side so uh once they the british figured out that the that uh, the germans weren't going to go through the uh, the Faroes gap um tovey signaled uh holland who's south of iceland and said get cracking get in there by dawn which is when we expect them to come through Bismarck was sighted on the 23rd of May at seven, uh, at about 7.20 in the evening. Um, and the cruisers Suffolk and Norfolk played played sort of um, um, sort of cat and mouse game of, of, uh, of shadowing her as she ran south through the strait. Uh, but all the time they were signalling to Admiral Holland saying, look, this is where they are, uh, you're going to meet him. He kept on increasing the speed of his ships and, and changing the angle so he'd get in the position to meet meet them at dawn. So that's what happened at uh, at about 5.30, um, Bismarck and Prince Eugen, she was accompanied by the heavy cruiser Prince Eugen, uh, or Eugen, um, and they, they, they sighted, who'd, who'd sighted them. And then they the two ships were essentially on parallel courses uh, about... Um, roughly about 14, 15 miles apart. Uh, they, they then started manoeuvring for the best possible position. And as you know, a, a battleship, its guns are essentially pointed. Um, the the best way is to fire the guns to on the broadside. So you want to be side on to the enemy. 
that's going to be a problem as you're trying to close the range. So picture it, Bismarck with Prince um, Prince Eugen in front of her were heading essentially southeast. So was Hood with Prince of Wales behind her. And as the, the morning wore on, uh, by they sighted each other about 5.37. Within about 10 minutes, uh, they've... The vaulted course, the range has dropped to to almost range to to open fire. Uh, the range is decreasing uh, steadily, uh, but Holland is still. He wants to get to cross the T. He he wants to get all his guns firing on the Germans, but only the front of the German ships could fire at him. It's a thing that uh, you know worked. At, it uh, it was. A tactic from the age of sail. It still worked in the battleship, in the time of the battleship. It was, it was a classic thing used at Tsushima. The British managed it at Jutland. It's uh, so. This this was the whole game. But kind of the problem was he, uh, the Germans knew this too. They kept on jinking their ships. So when the time came, when uh, the two sides started open opening fire. Uh, a little uh, at around uh, 5.52, a little after, uh, well, after 20 minutes, essentially, of manoeuvring and closing the range, all the German guns could just about fire on the on the British, uh, especially when uh, at about 5.40, Luchens turns to starboard to keep the range, keep the battleships apart. This this is one of the fascinating things. This is a pile, uh, applies to... Um, to people who, who like it like this from the the point of view of the um, you've seen the film and you like it but it also a, appeals to the tech heads who like who there are books as you said everyone's written about this it's like Jutland uh, it attracts books analyzing each shell and uh, and velocity and so on but at the day on the day all they could do uh, the admirals in charge was to just essentially hope for the best, try to put the ships in the best position. But Admiral Luchens managed it. Uh, um, Vice Admiral Holland was still trying to manoeuvre. Uh, so he opens fire. Bismarck opens fire shortly afterwards. Hood is target, makes the mistake of targeting the leading German ship. He thinks that's a Bismarck. It's actually the Prince Eugen. They look similar in silhouette. It's just one's a lot bigger than the other. They Both ships of the British ship started firing. Uh, the, Admiral, the, the Admiral was ordering them to fire at the lead ship. Fortunately, Captain Kerr of the of Prince of Wales decided, right, we're going to target Bismarck. It's the second one. That's It's the second ship in the line. That's the one we're shooting at. So he was already ignoring orders. Uh, at that point, the, the two sides started manoeuvring and Admiral Holland decides, right, I'm going to try to uh, turn to port to let all my guns bear. At the moment, only his leading gun, forward guns, the two forward turrets of Hood, the two forward turrets of Prince of Wales could fire. So he had to turn. But this, uh, these salvos were, were winging off about every 30 seconds, uh, mm. quite quite fast. And uh, imagine it, the range is about 12 miles. You can There are wonderful pictures of them in action. And uh, one of the the hood firing its guns taken from the the Prince of Wales towards the the target. But there's a there's a great one from uh, the Prince Eugen 
looking at Bismarck with a big gun flash. There's even ones from uh, Prince Eugen showing uh, shell splashes in the distance. You can't really see the ships from the naked eye at, at that range, but uh, you can... What sort of range set. were they firing at? You're speaking about 12 miles. Uh, so in, in that at that time, a shell takes about 40, 40 45 seconds to, to travel. So uh, you've kind of got to think ahead. So they're turning. It's just before six o'clock. Uh, Bismarck fires at 5.59. Bismarck fires three salvos in quick succession with her 15-inch guns. That's eight 15-inch guns. A lot of, lot of explosives heading towards towards the British ships. He's targeting the lead German ship. So too is Prince, is Prince Eugen. They're both battering, battering Hood. Um, just under a minute later, one of the shell Hood is starting to turn so all her guns can bear. She's uh, a little ahead of the Prince of Wales. And this salvo catches her stern. And remember I was saying she was a battle cruiser. She yep. was not well protected. Uh, her deck was, was a weak point, her Achilles heel. And these shells found it. They plunged through her after deck. They found the shipwreck fairly recently and were able to analyse a, a, a lot of the damage. So we kind of, we can tell what happened to some extent but uh, nobody in the in either side predicted what happened uh, at that moment because hood essentially blew apart it it blew up an after magazine which blew the stern off the ship in the bridge the the captain uh, and the admiral had no idea what was going on uh, they were still forging ahead the forward guns were still firing when the stern of the ship had been blown off. On the Prince of Wales, they just saw this huge column of, of flame and, and uh, an explosion. And the best they could do was they were still firing, but they had to jink, uh, jink their ship around the, the burning wreckage. So mm. essentially, there's this, this cataclysmic moment. And then Hood starts to sink. And she, she goes down and... As we know, it's um, it's all. She sinks very quickly. There were three survivors. Uh, yeah, three out of a crew of, of how many? Uh, three out of a crew of about fifteen hundred. Yeah. So uh, quite a colossal loss of life. But the important thing for the for the Germans is that they'd taken out that one ship. They now had. They didn't even want to fight. They would have sooner sneaked out into the Atlantic without any any confrontation. But so it was. Full points to the British for being there, uh, but not so good because their ships weren't up to the task. However, and Prince of Wales, she turned away onto a new course and she was still firing it at Bismarck as this was going on. And she was actually managing to hit her. This is kind of a crucial thing. But now the, by the back of by about 6.03, the range had dropped to eight miles and a salvo from the Prince of Wales straddled the Bismarck and scored a hit. It didn't seem to do any damage at the time, though. Uh, Bismarck by now turned to guns on the Prince of Wales, and she was hit badly. Uh, the, the British battleship, um, the captain uh, was, was stunned. The bridge was turned into a charnel house with a direct hit. Only two of the bridge staff, staff survived. And surprisingly, the captain did. But uh, the British Battle, the British battleship was being really pummeled. Half of her guns, remember I was saying there was, she still had workmen on board trying to fix them, uh, half of them weren't working. So it was it was just um, 
a very one-sided engagement. And eventually, at 6.05, the the captain of Prince of Wales decided he was being outfought and he he radar was being knocked out. His aircraft, spotter aircraft had been destroyed. His guns were malfunctioning. Uh, he'd been badly hit. His bridge had been taken out. So he, he turned away and broke off the fight. So that left Bismarck and Prince Argen clear to, to slip into the Atlantic. And ideally, they'd like to shake off any pursuit get lost in the vastness of the Atlantic and then choose a, a juicy convoy to attack. However, yeah, they... So it's the w- yeah. worst, worst of all scenarios. So not only have they escaped, but they've also sunk the hood. They've sunk the hood, yes. And hood was was the sort of poster child of the Royal Navy for the whole interwar period, showing the flag in just about, about everywhere. Everyone knew the hood. Uh, so it was a huge morale... Uh, morale boost for the Germans, and and conversely, it was a it was a catastrophe, uh, a PR catastrophe, and a, a catastrophic lo- loss of life for the British. She might have been outdated, but she was she was still uh, a very prestigious ship. Um, so it was an incredible. Were they, victory. were they careful on um, Were they careful on on not breaking the news to the public? How did how did that happen in the UK? Uh, the the Admiralty were. were very would have been would have liked to been fairly cautious about it, but unfortunately, they for for them uh, they had to tell the fleet. Tovey had to be told he was radioed by uh, the commander of the shadowing British cruisers first. Uh, so the news the news spread to him. The news spread to to London, to Whitehall, and they they basically had to. Um, it would have got out. So they they had to. It was it was the pride of the fleet. Uh, so they had to to fess up to it very quickly. Uh, yeah. At the same time, the Germans were, were already uh, radioing the news back to Berlin. So it, it's not something you could have, uh, you could have quietened down. No. However, what, what, what the crucial thing, though, in the battle is Bismarck was damaged. That a 14-inch, two 14-inch shells fired from the Prince of Wales had damaged her. Uh, and crucially, one had hit one of her oil tanks at the waterline in a fairly unprotected, one of the few unprotected parts of her hull, and oil was leaking out. So Admiral Luchens then had the decision to make, do I continue with my raid on on shipping or do I head back to port? So it may have been a, um, it may have been a huge dramatic victory for the incredible victory for, for the Germans, but it came at a, at a cost that would eventually cause, uh, cause the loss of the Bismarck. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, and then a, a massive scramble. So the the British are not; they're not anywhere really near where this has happened. So they need to get there as quickly as possible. And um, I mean, the, the whole operation of trying to hunt down the Bismarck seems um, almost impossible at the start, doesn't it? It is. It's a, it's it's a vast ocean. However, the British had a huge advantage. They had these two cruisers. Norfolk and Suffolk. Suffolk had a decent radar set. Remember, radar was just coming in. Uh, so fairly basic systems, but Suffolk had the more advanced one there. So these two cruisers, followed by the limping Prince of Wales, shadowed Bismarck and Prince Eugen as they ran south into the Atlantic and sent out um, sent messages to Admiral Tovey, who was closing with... from He was a, f- a fair distance, about three or 400 miles at this point, uh, over to the east, but was approaching with King George V, the battlecruiser Repulse, and the carrier Victorious. So the first thing they do is they, that night uh, they draw close, uh, but the, and the British send out an attempt an air attack with, uh, with the, the aircraft from the, the swordfish you were speaking about, these, these ri- almost ridiculously outdated biplanes, uh, and they attempt a, an air attack, uh, one of the making it one of the first such attacks in the open sea in uh, in history uh, it it didn't work but uh, and uh, and the pilots were green the pilots were didn't expect to be um, thrown into combat so quickly the the ship was was fairly new in uh, in the service so so were her airmen but the only thing old about it were was her aircraft but uh, <laughs> The, these ships ran south, and the next... So Admiral Luchens has to shake off his pursuers, if he's going to achieve anything. His first job, he manages to jink around there. He jinks from, from side to side. Uh, he tries to fire... He tries everything to shake off the pursuers, including turning a ship and firing on the British cruisers or the Prince of Wales. But eventually... He, they they fall back to the, the the extremities of radar range, and first thing he does is he manages to, without the British noticing, he manages to detach Prince Eugen by turning Bismarck around to threaten his pursuers, and um, the the cruiser Prince Eugen disappears off into the Atlantic and is lost to the British. But that evening, uh, or rather than the early hours of the next morning. Bismarck manages to do the same thing with his mm. with their pursuers and and escapes uh, by by turning around by f- by fooling the British that he's going one way and they think he's going uh, they they cover him going the other direction he disappears off he does a full circle and he heads off into the uh, into the Atlantic but he this time because of his fuel because he is is leaking fuel he reckons he doesn't have enough for the raid he, he was planning. So he decides, I'm going to head back to one of the the ports uh, like Saint-Nazaire in the, on the French Atlantic coast 
So there can't have been many which would actually have been able to help the Bismarck. I mean, we're looking at a a very large port facility. So I mean, if the British had worked out that he was going to get help, they could kind of narrow down where they were where he was heading for. Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, they they know she, she could she could head to Brest, she could head to to somewhere like that, uh, uh, Saint Nazaire. But the trouble is, she's got um, British are. are Looking for a needle in the haystack, they, they they lost contact with her that early that well during that night uh, or early that morning. Uh, so Bismarck is out there; they have no idea where. Tovey has the job at sea from his his little bridge of coordinating all of this uh, this search. So he's drawing in ships from all over. He gets he pulls the battleship Prince uh, Rodney off a convoy. Uh, he he radios. He gets the Admiralty to radio Vice Admiral Somerville in charge of Force H, based in Gibraltar, to send up ships. He's got a. That means he's got the carrier Ark Royal coming to help him. Uh, he's got his own carrier Victorious. But then the the big problem is he's looking in for the ship. Doesn't know where it is. Doesn't know which way it went. And he's running out of fuel. All these ships have been to sea. They gobble up fuel. Uh, and they have to put into port at some point. So, as Bismarck's heading is, is her actions are dictated by by fuel and her, her fuel leak. So are the British. Uh, Tovey has to, to keep going until he runs out of fuel, and then, uh, well, before he runs out of fuel, Churchill was actually suggesting, "Oh well, we could tow them in." Can you imagine towing a battleship from the through the Atlantic into um, into port? But uh, but that was the feeling at the time. We have to get the Bismarck because it's it's just crucial. It's it's a matter of national pride. Yeah, and then it, it falls to these antiquated biplanes who who just somehow luckily spot her. It, it falls to these antiquated biplanes. Yes, I mean I've uh, you, you've probably seen them in uh, in museums. Uh, the the Fleet Air Museum, for instance, yeah. uh, has one, and and you just look at this thing and thinking this is out of a this should be flown <laughs> it's like by a kite. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge thing that should have been flown by Biggles, but they were they essentially put the Italian fleet out of action in November 1940 uh, at the Taranto raid. So they worked, they did the job, and imagine this: who, who the Bismarck is heading towards the French coast. Uh, heading towards the southeast, but it's like a huge chessboard. You've got convoys going all over the place. Victorious, the carrier, and Prince of Wales have already broken off due to lack of fuel. Admiral Tovey, uh, in his flagship King George V, is heading uh, is somewhere behind Bismarck. He has no idea where Bismarck is, and coming up from the south is Force H, Vice Admiral Somerville's Force H, which includes the carrier arc royal. So all these chess pieces are on the board, but the trouble is nobody knows where the other other person's king or or queen or yep. main chess piece is until by, almost by fluke she's found uh, by... They, they're sending out search planes from Britain at a great rate of knots, uh, going out in the Atlantic. They're all... And they're coming back empty. They, they, they can't find anything. Uh... And then on Monday the 26th, which is two days after the Battle of the Denmark Straits, at 10.30, Bismarck is spotted by a Catalina flying plane uh, sent from Ireland. So they know where she is. 
at long last. But they had a little clue earlier because that night Admiral Lutyens had to radio uh, his superiors and say, look, I'm heading back to, to the French to the French ports. Come and support me. Uh, so the, that was kind of a stupid thing to do in a way, but because uh, it gave his, his rough position away. They knew he wasn't heading towards America. They knew he wasn't heading towards the Azores. The, the British now knew roughly which quadrant of the yeah. uh, of the Atlantic he was in. So you've got these things moving in. It was clear by now, though, that Tovey wasn't going to catch up. So uh, there might be chess pieces, but they were too far behind to do anything. The only one that might have a chance of catching in and to close in on the prey was Force H. And that all came to... A, a, after Bismarck was sighted... Uh, it, it soon became clear that the only way that would, could be done was by an airstrike. Vice Admiral Somerville had um, the, his own flagship was a battle cruiser, which was no match for Bismarck. So the only thing he could do was use the, these antiquated swordfish from Ark Royal. Uh, they did a first airstrike, which uh, launched in the afternoon of the 26th of May. It It didn't work because by that time... Somerville had had a cruiser shadowing the the Bismarck, and uh, it was attacked instead of Bismarck herself. A British cruiser uh, doesn't say much for aircraft re- recognition, so the sh- the crew of the poor Sheffield couldn't even fire back because they're when they're being attacked by their own people. So a very chastened airman uh, returned to to refuel and rearm. Um, and it's that's the other thing about this story. It's the last roll of the dice. By the following morning, they'd be within air range of the Luftwaffe air bases in in France. They'd have a line of U-boats sh- uh, shadowing them, uh, protecting Hood as she ran home. So the last chance the British has had were to stop her that night. And sure enough, at seven twenty, they launched an airstrike from the um, from the Ark Royal, uh, headed southeast, found Bismarck. And attacked her. So this airstrike goes in about eight o'clock, and amazingly, uh, and these antiquated biplanes have uh, each have a torpedo. They're attacking at a speed of a ridiculous speed of about eighty miles an hour. Imagine that. In the the Germans couldn't. The story is, the German anti-aircraft defences couldn't even cope with the, their fire control systems. Never expected a, a plane to be that slow. So. The flak was sort of bursting ahead of most of the planes, uh, <laughs> but the the one I feel sorry for is is the guy in the back, the the sort of rear gunner who just has to stand there uh, in this little yeah. open cockpit, watching all the stuff come at him and this great battleship appearing closer. So they attack what her. What an extraordinary moment! Yeah, exactly. And they attack her from all sides. Uh, they take turns. It's not. It's almost impossible to to coordinate these things but again the last roll of the last roll of the dice is a torpedo hits bismarck in the stern and um she's she's hit twice one just it just bounces off her underwater armor essentially but the other hits hits her in the stern and it jams her rudder and that is the crucial thing right so night's night sets uh sheffield behind the poor ship that was shot up by by its own airman um reports to uh, 
Vice Admiral Somerville that the Bismarck is is circling. It's what the heck is it doing? It's turning. It's kind of going in lazy circles, and that's the moment they realised they'd got her. Yeah, what a, a, an extraordinary moment. And then it's a matter of finishing finishing her off. It I mean, is. how do you go about finishing off an enormous battleship? Well, it's also about morale. Uh, yeah, because that night they she was shadowed by a bunch of by a bunch of destroyers, Captain Vine's destroyers, uh, including a Polish one, the Piorun. And they harass her with torpedo attacks throughout the night. The trouble is, your your fire control's a bit messed up because you can't, if your ship ship keeps turning, you can't make calculations to um, to engage ships. And uh, so they're firing their secondary guns. It's essentially uh, there's very little chance of them actually getting close enough to do a, a, a do a torpedo hit on her. Uh, but it keeps the gun crews at stations all night. So just before midnight, Luchens radios Germany and says, look, I'm in a hopeless situation. My speed's down to seven knots because they've tried everything. They've sent, they've stopped and taken divers down. They've they've had damage control parties trying to freeze it, but they can't unjam this rudder. Uh, they, it's limiting the speed of the ship. It's almost impossible to steer. They're trying to use their engines to steer the ship. So they kind of make a, make a sort of crazily sort of slug-like course across uh, across the Atlantic, there's almost no chance of get, there's no chance of getting to port. So mm. by by dawn, by seven in the morning, Luchin sends a final signal to Germany. He's Hitler says, you know, you, you're doing everyone's proud of you. Fight to the death. Hitler loved people fighting to the death. It seems, and uh, but there's nothing else you do. You can't you, you can't do anything else. You can't surrender a thing like like Bismarck. Um. Mm. But at 8.45, Bismarck was finally sighted. But the thing about all this is it allowed Tovey to catch up. And he was running an empty. He was, uh, it was like uh, coming down the motorway and you're look, desperately looking for a petrol station and your, your, your needles on well on the red bit. That was exactly the state of Rodney and King George V, his two battleships. Right. Oh, no. So even that is the last roll of the dice. He, he reckoned he had until about nine... Uh, maybe m- maybe ten uh, that morning before he had to break off and refuel uh, Bismarck or not. So uh, and they sight him at eight forty five. At eight forty seven, Rodney opens fire with her sixteen inch guns, followed a minute later by King George V. Bismarck starts firing back, but of course her damage control is is so messed up it's hard for her to hit anything. But the British start what essentially a very professional, a very clinical destruction of Bismarck. They get the range, the shells start slamming in, the range is closing steadily, um, and it's essentially bit by bit destruction. Yeah, she might have been the pride of the German fleet, she might have fantastic armour, uh, but uh, she, she was her first. the first hit at 8.59 uh, from Rodney, a 16-inch shell. You can't do much with a 16-inch shell. It's a huge lump of, of, of uh, explosives. It hits her main gunnery director, and after that, it was just a, a turkey shoot. Uh, yeah. Two minutes later, the forward turrets had been knocked out. The, the after gunnery director had been knocked out, um, and 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 then it was just fires were starting to break out all over the deck. They weren't penetrating her hull, but they were just knocking out her ability to fight and to uh, and to do anything with. You can't move around a, a ship whose 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 decks are on fire. Your morale had already been. Uh, reduced to when the crew realised they weren't getting home, so it was a it was just a, a matter of finishing her off, and that became a very clinical gunnery exercise, 
which lasted uh, about 40 minutes until Bismarck's guns were finally silenced at about 9.30 that morning. Mm. And with with her crew on board still, I think it's important to make this, this point. It's not like a passenger ship which has got, um, you know, plenty of... Uh, uh, plenty of lifeboats and you can kind of carefully um, carefully disembark your crew. I mean, the Germans are still on board and they're getting absolutely pounded. Yeah, well, the, the lifeboats, um, her, her ship's boat, she had lots of ship's boats. She had some very, very lovely looking ship's boats, but they're all matchwood by this stage or burning yeah. merrily. Uh, so you've got a ship um, who essentially she's, she's, she can't steer. She, she, can only maneuver at seven knots. Her guns are knocked out. She's got two thousand and sixty-five men on board. Uh, a lot of casualties by this stage. You got accounts of people jammed in their turrets and uh, can't get out. People burning to death. It's it's just it's just horrendous. So uh, and one of the first hits probably uh, knocks out the bridge. Uh, so um, Captain um, Lindemann of the Bismarck and. Uh, and uh, and then Admiral Luchens, who just a day before was sort of rubbing his hands, thinking, "Right, we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, change the course of the of the naval war here." Um, both of them were killed on the bridge. So you've got this. Uh, so it's it's down to the executive uh, officer was killed. Uh, the uh, you get a, a an engineering officer is starting to set scuttling charges, uh, but this time it's got nine o'clock. Tovey's got no option. He's he silenced the ship. There's nothing else he can do. He decides he's finishing her off with the torpedoes. He sends in the a, a cruiser, the Dorsetshire, which is just a, a fairly newly arrived, um, and she fires a salvo of two torpedoes at ten twenty-four, followed by other ones uh, about six minutes later, and that's enough to finally sink Bismarck. But did it? Were the torpedoes the thing that sank her, or was it the fact they were already scuttling her? Uh, mm. But all those men who were had to jump out of the ship. In, uh, once, they, once they gave the orders to abandon ship, they landed up in the water. It was fairly. It wasn't. It wasn't a storm. Uh, it wasn't particularly rough seas, but it was fairly choppy out there. Huge swell and covered in burning oil. Um, so these survivors bobbing around in the water. And this time the British close in and try to rescue whoever they could, but it's it's not it's not an easy process. You, you scrambling nets are put down. You've got to take people out of the water on scrambling nets. The destroyed Maori closed in. The cruiser Dorsetshire. Uh, they were recovering people. Then Dorsetshire thought they spotted a periscope in the water, so they had to break off. Captain Mar mm. Martin of Dorsetshire pulled the ship away. Um, leaving men in the water. Uh, Maori then tried to find the U-boat, uh, and then their main priority was not the rescue of the German survivors, but was to save their own crew. So they had very little option but to break off. So ships uh, ships were, uh, ships were, had been there, were trying to rescue them. Uh, in the end, um, one of the, the senior survivor, an officer called Mulem Reckenberg, uh, estimated about 800 people were left behind in the water. Really? Uh, uh, and uh, the 116 survivors were rescued by the British ships, one of which died on board Dorsetshire from his wounds. Uh, a few more uh, were left alive the next morning to be rescued by uh, a German U-boat, U-75, and a German weather ship, which had closed in. But essentially the rest 
um, the rest had drowned, had gone down with the ship, or or just succumbed in the water like so many sailors did after after the ship sank. Yeah, not a very shock, shocking moment. Did it have a significant effect on the, the the path of the maritime war? It it didn't. It didn't. It 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 had a huge effect on the Kriegsmarine because they the crew of the, Bis, the Bismarck had paid the ultimate price price for this sort of challenge to the to the um, to British both British sea power, but also the the whole idea of using surface ships for commerce raiders. After that, it was all over to the U boats to do the job. To, uh, to fight the Battle of the Atlantic, that idea was was basically scrapped. Hitler had no real use for his surface ships anymore, uh, so he used them to. Uh, but the, so he used them to. Um, he stationed them in the Baltic and in Norway. It was only when the um, Arctic convoy started um, uh, really started uh, taking off um, shortly afterwards that they had a purpose, which was harassing the arctic convoys so it was very much a scaling back of the whole german german fleet after that it was uh, it was it couldn't do it's it's the job it had been built to do which was to 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 break break britain by by destroying her her maritime trade well it's a fascinating story and angus thank you very much indeed for sharing it with us today that's <laughs> a pleasure Thank you all so much for listening. Now, my turn to ask of you a favour. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. If you do so, I promise I will read it out. It helps a huge deal, as the more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find us, and therefore the more we can teach people about maritime history. Don't forget that this podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyds Register Foundation. And you can find the History and Education Centre of the Lloyds Register Foundation at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk. And make sure to check out their latest project, Maritime Innovation in Miniature. Just Google it, Maritime Innovation in Miniature. And you will see the world's best ship models filmed with the latest camera equipment. It's mind-blowing. The Society for Nautical Research you can find at snr.org.uk and that's where you can join up. It's a fabulous way to meet people to find out all about the maritime past from the world's very best maritime historians. And if you're a full member, you get to come to our annual dinner on board HMS Victory or HMS Warrior. And that is something you will never, ever forget. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.